Now, I'm going to start with a memory test for you this morning. Can you think back to the period between the 10th and the 20th of May this year, just a few months ago? What was happening here at Holy Trinity and nationally and internationally around the church? Anyone remember? (laughs) He knows. Does anyone else know? Denise? Thy kingdom come. Yes. Does anyone remember what thy kingdom come was all about? It was a bishop's incentive, yes, launched by the archbishops of Canterbury and York. And it's a national, international, global thing where we are encouraged to pray for our friends to come and know Jesus. And it's now in its third year. And it runs in churches throughout the Anglican Communion and other Christian denominations as well. And that is what we were doing here between the days of Ascension and Pentecost this year. Some of you might remember the graffiti prayer wall we had out in the foyer. A few of you might remember the special focus at morning prayer. And one or two of you might also have been on the prayer walks around the village. Well... That was an event called Thy Kingdom Come, which I think has a little bit of bearing on our lines from the Lord's Prayer today. As we come to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Thy, your, interchangeable, only difference a few centuries. So we might find ourselves, as we come to these lines of the Lord's Prayer, wondering what it actually means when we pray, your kingdom come your will be done. What are we actually praying for? Well, to help us start thinking about this, I'm going to read to you some words that Archbishop Justin said when he was launching this year's Thy Kingdom Come event. He said this, the business of being witnesses to Jesus Christ compels us to look into the world around us. It compels us to seek to experience the compassion of God for a world caught up in suffering and pain, in oppression of the poor, in outrageous inequality, in all the things that go against the kingdom of God. There is no limit to what the kingdom of God does. And so the moment we start praying, thy kingdom come, we look outwards. When we pray for the kingdom to come, The kingdom will transform individuals. The kingdom transforms society. The kingdom transforms the globe. And the kingdom transforms the cosmos. Archbishop Justin launching Thy Kingdom Come this year. Well, what I hope we'll do together this morning is start by thinking a little bit what the kingdom of God actually is. I mean, what's this kingdom thing all about anyway? And then we're going to move on to consider what we are asking for when we pray, your kingdom come. And we'll finish by thinking a little bit about how we pray, your will be done as well. So firstly, the kingdom of God, what's it all about? Well, I found a simple definition this week, and I like simple definitions. And this one says it all without being too complicated. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place, under God's rule. God's people, 
in God's place, under God's rule. That's the kingdom of God. And when Jesus introduces his mission, the reason why he's come, in Mark chapter 1, he proclaims the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to live as God's people under God's rule. He brings the kingdom into being. He inaugurates it. He makes it possible for us to enter the kingdom of God if we put our trust in him. But he also teaches us that the kingdom is something that grows over time. So in Mark 4, we read the parable of the mustard seed, where the kingdom starts off really small, like a tiny mustard seed, and grows into the biggest of all garden plants. So although Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came to earth, it won't be seen in all its fullness until he returns when he brings in the new heaven and the new earth, when we will truly live as his people in his place under his rule for all eternity. Jesus also teaches that the kingdom is something of immense value. So in Matthew 13, he likens it to treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great value. This is something that can't be ignored It requires us to respond, and nothing in our lives is more important than entering the kingdom of heaven. This has eternal significance. And finally, Jesus sends his disciples out, this is Luke chapter 10, he sends them out to spread the message of the kingdom, like workers in a harvest field. They're to go around the towns and villages, proclaiming the kingdom of God is near. And we too get the wonderful privilege of sharing in God's mission to spread the kingdom as we share the good news of Jesus with those we encounter and invite them to respond to the kingdom message too. So to sum up what we've learned about the kingdom so far, Basically, we live in a gap between Jesus having inaugurated the kingdom in his life, death, and resurrection, here's the gap, and not yet seeing it fully until he returns. And the phrase that Christian writers down the centuries have used to describe this is, now but not yet. Now, but not yet. We have a taste of the kingdom now, but we won't see it in all its fullness yet. And our task in the meantime is to get on with spreading the kingdom while we wait for him to return. So given all of that about the kingdom of God, let's turn back to the Lord's Prayer now and ask what does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come. Now, as I was researching this talk today, I came across some videos that Archbishop Justin had made in the run-up to the Thy Kingdom Come event in May. He interviewed a range of Christian leaders from different denominations and put to them the question, what does it mean for you to pray Thy Kingdom Come? So I'm going to draw on some of their wisdom and share that with you today. 
as we think what it means to pray for God's kingdom to come in situations that we might be facing in our own lives or as we look at the world around us. So firstly, let's think what does it mean to pray your kingdom come for ourselves and our own families? Archbishop Justin put this question to a guy called Muiwa. Now, you might not have heard of him, that's okay. He's the director of the radio station called Premier Gospel. And Moira described how when he prays this prayer for his family, he is asking for them to be filled with the knowledge of God, to know that Jesus loves them, and to know his peace. Your kingdom come for my family. For himself, your kingdom come. He's praying, Lord, send me, asking God to show him how he can be part of the answer to his own prayer. And I think, too, that's an important part of what it means when we pray your kingdom come. Because, you know, if we're going to pray this prayer, we need to be prepared for God to use us as part of the answer. And it doesn't have to be anything big or scary, But it can be as simple as just stopping to talk to someone in the street or on the bus, taking the time to listen to them, to hear their story, and allowing God to use you and share his words through you into what they're going through. So your kingdom come for ourselves and our families. Secondly, what does it mean to pray your kingdom come? For those who don't know Jesus, maybe our own friends who don't know him, but also the wider society around us. This question was put to a guy called Nicky Gumbel, who some of you might have heard of. He's the vicar of a big church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton, and also founded the ever-popular Alpha Course. So Nicky spoke of how encountering Jesus brings God's kingdom into the lives of individuals. So when we pray, your kingdom come, for a friend who doesn't know Jesus, we're basically praying for that person to encounter Jesus. And then, leading on from this, multiplying up, we're praying for society to be transformed as more and more people encounter Jesus and experience his love in their hearts and desire then, in turn, to love others and see justice done. And for me, this resonates with how Patrick invited us to pray for our local community last weekend after the traveller incursion on the wreck. And if any of you haven't had a chance to read the emails that Patrick sent out this week on the subject, there are printed copies on the welcome desk afterwards, and I'd encourage you to grab one. Um, But Patrick invited us to pray for justice, for respect, and for kindness to be held together. And for the king of glory to come and pitch his tent, his glory, his holy presence in the midst of our local community. So can I encourage all of us to pray, your kingdom come for our village of Claygate and wherever we live in the weeks ahead. So thirdly, what does it mean to pray, your kingdom come when we or someone close to us is going through a time of suffering. 
This is a tough one, isn't it? But Archbishop Justin put this question to a guy called Pete Gregg, who has founded an organisation called 24-7 Prayer International and has written some books on prayer as well. And he had some wisdom to share on this. So this is what he said about praying for your kingdom come in the midst of suffering. We often want God to airlift us out of our problems. But he more often parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them. I believe in miracles. I believe that things change when we pray thy kingdom come. But the greatest miracle is the presence of Jesus with us in the midst of what we're going through. When we pray thy kingdom come, it is all about Jesus, his death and resurrection, the resurrection power of answered prayer, the things we long to see change, but also identifying with the cross and the suffering of Christ, who is the God who comes and identifies with us in our pain and our struggle. And I think this is where we come up against the now and the not yet of the kingdom, working itself out in our own experience. We might find ourselves longing for a miracle, for a loved one to be healed, for a prayer to be answered. And we can absolutely pray those big prayers in faith that God hears us. We have the kingdom in part now. And sometimes those big prayers will be answered. I believe that miracles can happen, and they do. But this is not our everyday experience. And we yearn for more. We yearn for Jesus to return and bring the kingdom in all its fullness when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But we have to wait for the fulfillment of that promise until we see him face to face. For now, the answer to our prayers is more often the presence of God with us holding us in his arms of love, surrounding us with his grace and love through those dark times and sharing in our pain with us. So we've touched on three aspects of what it might mean to pray your kingdom come in the face of different circumstances and situations in our lives and in the world around us. There is, of course, so much more that could be said and so many more ways in which we could pray, your kingdom come. But we need to move on now to consider what it means to pray the second half of the prayer, your will be done. Now, I'm guessing for many of us, the petition, your will be done, is easier to understand at a first glance than your kingdom come. It doesn't need the same sort of unpacking to work out what it actually means. But I'd like to suggest that your will be done might actually be a harder prayer to pray when it comes down to it. Because sooner or later, we come up against a problem. If we're praying, your will be done, if our will, what we want, is not the same as God's will, then if we're praying your will be done, it means that our will 
won't be. And that can be tough. But Jesus does not ask from us something that he has not already gone through for himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The cup he talks about is the cup of suffering that he was about to taste on our behalf. In other words, his death on the cross. Jesus knew what lay ahead and longed for God to provide another way, praying through blood, sweat and tears as he poured out his request to God. Yet he was prepared to lay his will aside, surrendering himself to God's will, praying, your will be done, as he prepared to lay down his life for you and for me. Let's notice too how Jesus began that prayer in Gethsemane. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And this is how we begin the Lord's Prayer too. We have the wonderful privilege of addressing God as our Father in heaven, as Sarah preached on last week. And we are his sons and his daughters. And it's important to hold this in our minds as we pray, your will be done. Because the only way to pray this prayer is from the basis of a relationship of trust with God as our Father. Knowing that he loves us, He wants always what is best for us and is worthy of our trust. Now, to be honest, it's quite difficult to generalize and say what it might look like for us to pray, your will be done in our own lives, because each one of us is different and the situations we face are unique. But I thought it might just be helpful to share an example from my own life of how I've been praying your will be done over the past year or so, in the hope that perhaps some of this might speak into situations that others are going through as well. So just take anything that is helpful and let the rest pass by. I think most of you know that I'm just about to embark on three years of training for ordained ministry in this church. And just over a year ago, I began meeting with a guy called the Diocesan Director of Ordinance, and his role is to help prepare people going through the discernment process. And in my first meeting with him, he spoke a lot about what the process would look like, asking me to come with an openness to God's timing, to the outcome, whatever that might be, and to the process itself. In other words, I was not to plough on with a fixed idea of my will be done, but to be open to discovering God's will through the process. And for me, this involved quite a lot of setting aside assumptions, my own and other people's, and genuinely beginning to pray, your will be done, in a way that I don't think I ever really had before. It felt both scary and exciting. Exciting because I trusted that God wanted what was best for me. And if that didn't turn out to be ordained ministry, then he would have something even better lined up. But scary because I wasn't in control. And that's never a comfortable place to be. 
going on my selection conference back in May was a further opportunity to pray, your will be done. As this big decision concerning my future now rested in the hands of others, and I was praying for God's will to be done through their prayerful and wise discernment. And amazingly, by God's grace, I felt a deep sense of peace. And knowing that I was not in charge of the outcome started to bring a sense of freedom and joy. And I found myself in a place of trust and rest as I surrendered my will to God's. But of course, I'll be honest, there were times when it did not feel that wonderful. Times when I struggled to trust God. Times of anxiety and doubt. Times when I was feeling impatient for the process to move along and I just wanted God to get on with it. And even now, as I prepare to start training in September, I am continuing to pray, your will be done. Not assuming that I know what the future will hold, but asking for God's help to continue to surrender my will to his day by day. So that's my experience of praying, your will be done. And for some of us, we might be able to find points of similarity with our own experience. For others, maybe differences. But let's all remember that the one to whom we pray is our loving Father, who knows us better than we know ourselves and who always has our best interests at heart. So, as I finish, can I encourage us all this week to make time to pray your kingdom come for ourselves, our friends and family, our village community and further afield, And, this is a tough bit, to be prepared to be part of the answer to our own prayer. And also, as we reflect on our own lives, to consider where God might be calling us to lay aside our own preferences, our own desires, surrendering our will to our loving Heavenly Father as we pray, your will be done. Amen.